0: Today, we are in Matthew, we've been in Matthew, and we're in Matthew chapter 10, and we are looking at what may be the most crucial, maybe the most monumental passage of Jesus speaking to disciple-making, to what is a disciple Jesus is speaking very directly, very clearly to what this is, what it's to look like. He's going to talk about the cost of discipleship, because there is a cost. He's going to talk about what it involves. So this passage today uh, requires from us a great deal of attention because it applies to us. Now that word disciple simply means learner. Follower. It's a learner from Jesus, a disciple of Jesus. And we're convinced at IEC, our mission statement, we say it every week, is to make disciples of all nations for the glory of God. And we consider that a privilege. We're an international church, it's in our name. We're the International Evangelical Church. And each one of those words is important. We're international, meaning we have many nations here. There's been weeks we've counted up to 60 nations worshiping here together between our two services. So we consider it a joy to have uh, people from around the world gather to worship. We're evangelical. What that means is we believe proclaiming the gospel, the truth that while we were yet sinners, Jesus died for our sins, is at the core of our mission. That's who we are. We're to proclaim the gospel to a lost world. And we're a church. That means a church is a congregation, a body, a group of people that have placed their faith in Jesus Christ who come together to worship with one another. That's who we are as a church. So we believe one of the great privileges we have is to make disciples of all nations. People come here. Some of you have been here for 30 years, longer. Pastor Mike, you've been here longer than that now, haven't you? Yeah. Many of you have been here longer. I'm not going to start calling out all the people I know who have been here longer. But there's a lot. Some have just been here a couple of years. But we continually see people come into our body and launch out to the nations. The Lord moves them, and we're grateful for that. We consider that a joy. So today, we're going to be talking about discipleship and if you have your bulletin I have notes for you I don't always do notes this week I did so uh, if you're a note taker and you like it it's gonna be really easy for you um, well we're gonna when we talk about discipleship a disciple is a follower of Jesus but not every disciple is engaged in discipleship in disciple making in the process of winning people to Christ and helping them grow to maturity. That's what discipleship is in the simplest form, seeing people come to know the Lord and then grow to maturity in Jesus Christ. And sometimes we'll find Christians who have been walking with the Lord for a long time, but they're not very mature in their faith. And they need someone to help grow them up, help mature them just like Jesus did. When we talk about parents, what does it mean to be a parent well the simplest term it means that you have a child very simple you have a child but a par- a person can be a parent yet not engaged in parenting some of you you grew up with that experience maybe you had someone that was a parent but they weren't engaged in the process of parenting so see you can be a disciple without being engaged in the process of making disciples. Each week, when I step up here, there's a simple goal in preaching. Ephesians four twelve four twelve says this, To equip the saints for the work of ministry. And that's what we aim to do each week. We believe the sermon, the weekly gathering, is a part of the discipleship of the body. It's not the total discipleship of the body, but it's a part where we all gather to be equipped to do ministry. So that's what we want to do as a church, is equip you as a body when you leave this place that you go and do ministry. So let me tell you where we are. We're in Matthew 10. We saw Jesus talk about the 12 disciples, give their names. Mike, a couple weeks ago, told us, gives us instructions that Jesus gave the disciples here's how you're to go, take this, don't take that. Last week, he told them, here's how the world's going to react. They're not going to like you. You're going to be persecuted. Jesus, in this passage on discipleship, is giving some tough teachings. So today, we're going to finish out chapter 10. We're going to read chapter 10, verse 24 through 42. So if you would please stand for the reading of God's word. Matthew chapter 10. Verses 24 through 42. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those in his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on rooftops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both body, both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your Father? But even the hairs on your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore, for you are more valuable than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think I have come to bring peace on earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. I have come to set man against his father and daughter against her mother and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those in his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever, love, whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever receives you, receives me. And whoever receives me, receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet, because he is a prophet, will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person, because he is a righteous person, will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives, to one of the, uh, these little ones, even a cup of cold water. Because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. This is the word of God for the people of God. And all God's people said, praise be to God. You may be seated. God, we do thank you for your word. Your word is living and active. Your word declares that all men are like grass. And that all our glories, like the flowers of the field. The grass indeed withers and the flowers fade. But it's your word that stands forever. We ask that this be the word that's faithfully preached today. Unless you speak, nothing of true eternal significance will be spoken. So speak through your servant and through your word today, we pray. Amen. When Jesus starts this passage, he says, A disciple is not above his teacher. And he goes on to say that a disciple is to become like his teacher. If someone asks you, if someone asks you, what's the goal of discipleship? How would you answer that? Why? Jesus talks about making disciples. Jesus sends his followers to make disciples. What is the goal of discipleship? Well, I believe here it gives us that goal, and the goal's quite simple. It's Christ-likeness, that you and I and those around us become more and more and more like Jesus Christ, that people see Jesus reflected more and more in your life, that you die to self and Christ rises and lives in and through you, That's the goal of discipleship, that we become more like him. And he tells us, as we become more like Jesus, we're going to be treated more like Jesus. The more you become like Christ, the more you're going to be treated like Christ was treated. Obviously, there are those who loved, adored Jesus, who followed Jesus, There were those who saw Jesus and said, there's something in you that I want in my life. You see, as we become more like Christ, people look at us and they see something in us where they go, I want to be more like you. But it's not us that they want to be like. It's the Christ in us. But also, the world hated Christ. They persecuted Christ. They said that Christ does His miracles and His works by the power of Beelzebub, by Satan. And the more we become like Christ, the more this world is going to have a hatred toward us. Don't be surprised by that. When we don't see those things, often it's because we maybe unknowingly have become more like the world then we're like Christ. You see the point of discipleship is that we become more and more and more like our Savior Jesus. And the disciples they are gonna encounter opposition like Christ did. Now next Jesus tells them in verse 26 he's gonna give them, we're gonna get five things here that a disciple does. Jesus is gonna show them five things that a disciple does. And they're gonna encounter opposition it's coming. Don't be surprised that you encounter opposition. But here's what Jesus says to them. So have no fear of them. I've heard it said in the Bible there are 365 fear knots, One for every day of the year. You see, we, we all have moments of fear. Moments of anxiety. And there's a fear that is natural and good. And then there's a fear that is not rooted in faith. You see, we're to move from fear to faith. Now, this is a good fear. If you see a wild animal coming to you and looking angry and hungry, you should be afraid, right? That fear rising up in you tells you, it's an emotion that you feel, you can't control it, you feel it, and it's telling you, You need to do something. Danger. That's a good fear. Fear warns us of danger. That's a good thing. To not experience that would be bad. But then there's fear where we should be trusting God more than being afraid. And that's what he's speaking to. Now, all of us, it's natural to have fear. None of us should feel bad about that. Some people like to deny it and pretend like they're afraid of nothing. But all of us have fear. But he's somehow moving from fear to faith here. So he's going to give us, in this fear, I've got three subpoints because Jesus knows this is such a great struggle for us, a challenge, that he's going to give us uh, three more insights into this. Now, in uh, where I come from in, in the United States, in the community I was in, one of the great fears people had was of children not being able to swim. Now I know that's not a fear in every culture, but it, where I'm from, it's almost like an unrealistic fear. Like everybody's afraid their kid is going to drown, and, and, and that can really happen. So one of the goals most parents have is get your kids swimming as early as possible. I remember we had our kids swimming by age three or four. They learned to swim. We got them over to the pool because we're like, we don't want them to fall in the water and drowning but I remember watching them three and four these little bitty boys they would go to a diving board and they would stand at the end of it and they would just look and be like there's nothing to be afraid of it's just water you can jump in it they had learned to swim at this point jump in and they would stand there and stand there and the fear would build and build and build and build and finally after what seemed like forever they would jump in and then they would go do it again and then again and pretty soon that fear would begin to die down you see they had faith that when they jumped off that diving board into the water that they were going to be okay they could swim they could make it out and you see that's how our faith works Faith, the more we step out in faith instead of fear, the stronger our faith gets. We go, oh, I've experienced that before. I can trust God in that situation. I'm not as afraid as I used to be. And we can step out in faith. It becomes easier the more we do those things. So here, Jesus is going to give them some reasons to not fear. He says this, verse 26, For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. First reason, that he gives not fear. So first point is a disciple does not fear. Point A is because all will be revealed. Has somebody ever hurt you deeply? You ever had somebody betray you? I venture to say that's a common experience at some level for all of us. That you've had somebody do wrong to you that you've experienced some form of injustice that brings fear in us. Does anybody know? Does anybody care? Will anything be done about this? Here, Jesus is telling them, all is going to be revealed at some point. Everything's going to be laid open. And it's not just going to be laid open, it's going to be dealt with. God is just. We can trust the justice of God. Now, I tell you, That's hard. When we see great injustice and we look at it and we go, how will God take that great injustice and use it for his glory? We trust that he, in his goodness, somehow will use that. So first thing we see is all is going to be revealed at some point. Second thing he tells them in verse 27, he says, What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on rooftops. Second reason not to fear is because Jesus He gives us what we're to say, what we're to do, what our mission is, what our purpose in life is. He tells us those things. He says, what I say in the dark, you're going to say in the light. Declare on rooftops. You're going to be going and declaring the gospel. That's our purpose in life. We declare the gospel. We make disciples. That's who we are. So second reason to not fear is because Disciples say what Jesus said. They do what Jesus did. We live how Jesus lived. He's our example. He's our role model. We're not left without an example of how we're to to live and what we're to do and what we're to say. One of the things I love about reading the Gospels, you know, Jesus will teach the same thing. You'll read in Matthew, he gives a sermon, on the Mount, and Luke, he gives the Sermon on the Low Place. They're very similar, but there's some differences. Jesus taught the same lessons over and over. He would show up in a new area, and he would often teach the same thing. And his disciples heard Jesus teach the same lesson over and over and over again. When you hear something taught a lot, you begin to memorize it. There's movies my family has watched several times. And there'll be a part coming in a movie. And my boys can all quote that before it happens. They didn't study it. They didn't go, we've got to learn what this movie quote is. They know it because they've heard it over and over and over again. You see, we don't have to worry about what we're to say. God has given it to us in his word. That's one reason we're to be a people of the word. We go to the word over and over and over and over again. We want to be a people who, when we speak, it's God's Word that we're speaking. That means mean we're always quoting chapter and verse, but we're speaking truth that is birthed out of the Word of God. The next thing he says down here in, in verse uh, 29, he says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father, but even the hairs on your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more valuable than many sparrows. Second thing, or third thing, point C reason not to fear. They know their worth. You have worth and value, you are gloriously made in God's image. Some people may have hurt you and told you, you don't have worth or value, but no, God says, you have value. You have worth. You are my child. And that's a good, glorious, beautiful thing that we are made in his image. We have worth and and value. He says, two sparrows. Sparrows were the cheapest animal you could buy. And he says, those cheap animals, God cares about them. You're more valuable than them. God cares about you so much that even the hairs on your head are numbered. I've heard it said that the average person has 140,000 hairs on their head. I don't know who counted that. But 140,000. Some of you, you're bringing that number up. Some of us here, a lot of our elders, we're we're bringing that number down. We're helping pull it the other way. But the point is, God cares about you so much. He knows exactly how many hairs are on your head right now. Nobody else knows that. You don't know how many hairs are on your head. God does. You have worth and value. So don't fear because God loves you and you have worth and value and he wants to use you for his purposes. So he goes on to tell them that everyone... In verse 32, we get to the second point about a disciple. He says, Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. Whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. Second thing, a disciple acknowledges Jesus is Lord. This may be the most important of all the points that we go over today. A disciple acknowledges that Jesus is Lord over his life. He's Savior. He's glorious. He's good. We can trust him disciple, you're not a disciple if you don't acknowledge that. Romans uh, 10 9 says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead we will be saved. We confess, we acknowledge that he is Lord and when we do that we can trust that he too will acknowledge us before his father in heaven. When we go and stand before the judgment Jesus will say they're mine. They've acknowledged me. They've trusted in me. I acknowledge them. They belong to me. Disciple acknowledges Jesus. In verse 34, we see the the third thing. The third thing is a disciple prioritizes Jesus over all other relationships. Now, this one gets really challenging. He says, do not think I've come to bring peace. The Jewish people, they were going, Messiah will get rid of Rome and bring earthly peace. He says, I haven't come to bring that type of peace. He says, I've come to bring the sword. I've come to set man against father, daughter against mother, daughter in law against mother in law. Last week we talked about this is the second time Jesus has talked about our precious family relationships and that he takes priority over all of them. A disciple prioritizes Jesus over all other relationships. Now, it's not saying these relationships, they're vital, they're important, but Jesus comes over all of them. He's before all of them. Our staff, um, one of the things we do each week, our staff on Tuesday mornings, we look over the sermon passage being preached that week. And for me, that's the start of sermon preparation for me, and it's really my most valuable sermon prep time because I get a lot of insight from our team as to what they're seeing But many of them spoke of having experienced or knowing people directly that have experienced family rejection, being kicked out of their house because of faith in Jesus Christ, of family members who won't eat with them, being counted as a second-class citizen within their own family because of their faith in Jesus Christ. That they're not allowed to do the first thing that they can't be the first one to cut the cake, the first one to cut the animal, the first one to do those ceremonial things. Fathers telling children, don't even come to my graveside. Some of you experience that reality. Some of you have tasted the bitter seed of prioritizing Jesus at times. That can be hard. But Jesus is above all earthly relationships. And there's no more relationships that we're more likely to change our views for, to not stand up against, than our family. That's the hardest. And Jesus says, I come above all that. In verse uh, 38, we get the fourth point for today. He says and whoever takes his own cro- his cross and follows me is not wh- whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy me of me but whoever finds his life will lose it and whoever loses his life will find it. Jesus has these reversal statements. You want to be first? The first will be last. The last will be first. You want to find your life? You've got to be willing to lay down your life and die. And as you die, you're going to experience the fullness of life of living in the Lord. Those are reversals that are hard. Our flesh wants to be first. Our flesh doesn't want to die, but Jesus says as we do that, as we do that, we become more and more like He is. And as we do, we experience life. So the fourth point on here, a disciple... Follows Jesus. He says, whoever uh, will not take up his cross. Remember, Jesus took up his cross. But at this point, Jesus hasn't gone to the cross, right? Where is the image of the cross for the disciples? Well, in the area where they lived in Galilee, just a few years before Jesus started his ministry, an insurrection was led by a man named Judas of Galilee. Judas was a common name. Judas led this insurrection. The Romans came and put it down, and they crucified 2,000 Jewish people. And they put them on all the streets all over Galilee. All the Galileans would know the cross. They had seen the cross. As they walked through the streets of their town, there were people hanging on a cross who have been a part of this insurrection. In fact, most of these disciples probably knew a friend, a family member, someone who had been a part of this insurrection. So this idea of taking up their cross and following Jesus and dying to self was very, very, very real to them. They knew what that was like. In verse 40... He says whoever receives you receives me and whoever receives me receives him who sent me and then he begins to speak of hey he receives a prophet will receive a prophet's reward he who receives a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward fifth point a disciple receives a reward now typically that reward is not earthly we receive a reward Look at what he says, "Whoever receives you, receives me. The the disciples, Jesus is sending them to be like a prophet. Go like a prophet and tell people the kingdom of heaven at his hand to repent. So he's sending these twelve with the job of a prophet. Go declare this. Old Testament prophets. How were they treated? When I read scripture... I go, Lord, don't ever call me to be a prophet, not like I see in the Old Testament. They get sawed in half. They walk around three years nude. They eat dung. They are called to do crazy things to bring God's people back. They're sawed in half. You read the Old Testament. The role of a prophet is a hard role. It doesn't end well. And Jesus is saying, hey, whoever receives a prophet, meaning you're going to go declaring this message that could get you killed. Whoever receives you and welcomes you, and not just welcomes them, welcomes the message. You see, the prophet has a message. Receiving the prophet is not just about welcoming them physically, it's receiving their message. And their message was, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Believe in Christ. That's the message they're to go and declare. Now, as we talked in our staff meeting, some were sharing that this is why, you know, throughout history in Ethiopia, many would welcome prophets into their homes uh, within the Orthodox Church and say, hey, you're, you're welcome to come into our home and we'll bring them in because they wanted to receive the reward that that prophet would receive. He goes on to say here, um, and whoever gives a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is my disciple, uh, he will by no means lose his reward. My wife and I, um, probably two or three days a week, we'll go for a walk around our neighborhood. And we walk right by this Orthodox church. And on the, the day where, I guess it's once a month, where the, the saint of that church is celebrated, everybody gathers. And we'll see what looks like hundred people gathering, hundreds, gathering outside this church. And they won't go in. And my wife's always like, what, what are they doing? What's going on? And... Somebody told me this week, they said, you know, they come wanting to receive that cup of cold water. They come wanting to receive that that gift. You see, a a cup of cold water, if somebody comes to your house, it's probably the easiest thing to give them. It's It's a little thing to give them. It's not big that we can do. So he says, even giving As you go, those who give you this small gift, they're going to receive that reward, those who receive the message of Christ. So here today, Jesus is giving his disciples, as they go, some discipleship basics, some things that they're to do. First, a disciple doesn't fear. It means that we don't ever experience fear, but we walk in faith rather than fear. Second, a disciple acknowledges Jesus as Lord. You're not a disciple if you don't trust Christ. Third, a disciple prioritizes Christ above all other relationships. Fourth, a disciple follows Jesus. They don't just trust Jesus, but they take up their cross, and they're willing to follow him to endure the things that he even endured. And fifth, a disciple will receive that reward. I don't know what all that reward entails. People can debate it, but here's one thing I know for sure. The greatest reward that you and I will ever receive is eternal life in the presence of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And a disciple, that's the reward we live for. That's our greatest reward. I pray as a church that we live not for the rewards of this earth, but for the reward. That Christ gives. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. It's true. It's good. It's gracious. And Lord, we looked at a long passage today. We looked at some difficult things that Jesus said to his disciples. And Lord, we confess that we often fail to reflect you well, to prioritize you. Lord, we, we, there's times that fear dominates us and keeps us from being obedient. So Lord, we ask that we would taste the great joy of the truth that you said of he who loses his life will find it. Lord, may we willingly lay down our life and taste the great joy of walking closely with you. Lord, may the aim of our life be to be more like you, to be more like Jesus. And Lord, if there's any here today who haven't taken that first step of discipleship to become a disciple, to recognize their sin and trust you, may today be the day of salvation, we pray. Amen.